Welcome to the New Life Millbrook Weekly Podcast. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information about this podcast or other resources, please visit nlmillbrook.com. I am excited to be here with you guys and on this incredible day. So we're going to be going right into Acts chapter 4, where we picked up from the, as we've been building. Um, and we're going to pray where you guys open up to that. Heavenly Father, we just thank you so much for your word. Thank you for your goodness and your faithfulness. Thank you that you are unbelievably faithful when we are unbelievably unfaithful. God, you meet us and you bless us. You speak to us. And Father, we open up our hearts big enough to receive all the things that you have for us today. Speak through me, through the voice of your Holy Spirit. We thank you for it all in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. EJ came to me today and she asked if McKenna could, my daughter, could sing on stage today. And I'm like, mm, that's your call. Um, you're the worship leader. And at the last two songs, I realized something as she was singing. And that was that my daughter doesn't sing, she speaks. Um, like there's no flowing of her voice. Everything she was singing was just more of a, all my life, he's been faithful. And I, and I found it funny, but then I realized at the exact same time, there's a lot of things that we are methodically singing in life and God is wanting an absolute declaration over your life. And we are experiencing something in the next couple of days with fireworks and everything else, but let's not lose sight of an absolute declaration of an independence over somebody's life. And this is what we're looking towards and when we're following through in the book of Acts, it is a declaration that everything is different now than it ever has been before. Up until this moment, God would move sovereignly through a handful of people. But at this moment, God is pouring out his spirit, as Peter said, um, as he's quoting Joel chapter 2, on all flesh. It's now and it's here. And there has to be this idea that we don't just go through the motions of church anymore. But when we're getting up, we're making declarations of the facts of God's word. And that's the issue that we're running into in our society is that we have a society that is now factless. There is no idea of what is truth and what is going on. It's just sing your happy song and go back to your corner. Don't bother me. But when you're standing up into yourself and looking in the mirror and you're getting, uh, dealing with issues of the life and then you can look and go, no, all my life you have been faithful. You are who you say you are and you're making these declaration statements. It's reminding yourself of who he is. God doesn't, he's old, but he's not that old. He hasn't forgotten who he is. He doesn't need me to remind him of his faithfulness. I need to remind myself of his faithfulness. I need to remind myself that in no matter what happens in life, he has been faithful, he will be faithful, and he will continue to be faithful in our lives. And as we're diving into Acts chapter 4, we're picking up in Acts 3 where uh, Peter and John are on their way to the temple and they go to the gate beautiful and there's the beggar that has been there for 40 years and the beggar asks for alms, he asks for money and Peter and John say silver and gold have we none but what we do have we will give you in the name of Jesus Christ rise up and walk the man's legs begin to work again. In fact the Bible says in Acts 3 his entire body was whole. Love that part. Every aspect of who he was was restored in that moment. There's a great commotion that takes place, and Peter speaks boldly to all the congregants out there. 
He tells them the story of who Jesus is. He explains to them, I am not special. He is special. I am nothing. He is everything. We all killed the Messiah that we've been praying for, but he is alive and well, and he's working today, and it was great. But then there's a second part of that. And that's where we pick up in chapter 4. And the second part of this is that now the, the commotion is, is, is growing. It's taken forth. And in Acts chapter 4 verse 1, it says this, Now as they spoke to the people, the priests, the captains of the temple, and the Sadducees came upon them being greatly disturbed that they taught the people and preached in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they laid hands on them and put them in custody until the next day. It was already evening, however. Many of those who heard the word believed, and the number of those men came about 5,000. Pause there. Uh, What happens is that there's a commotion taking place. When you know somebody has been paralyzed for 40 years, and they're walking and screaming, shouting, and praising God, there's going to be a commotion that takes place. The problem was is that the commotion that was taking place was distracting from the, 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 the holiness that was supposed to be going in the temple. So what is all of this disturbing going on? Because here's what would happen is as the commotion is breaking out at the gate beautiful, people who were in the temple could hear and they would leave the Sadducees and they would leave the Pharisees to go see this new thing that's going on. In other words, my congregation is leaving me for something else. I'm not happy about it. They walk out, they're doing these things, and, 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 it's, and, I, and I love this phrase, they came upon them suddenly. This wasn't a planned event. This was a, oh, wow, you're here. They grab a hold of Peter and John. And I love this phrase, the Sadducees were greatly disturbed. Of course they would be greatly disturbed. Why? Because the Sadducees have no belief at all in the resurrection. And now Peter and John are preaching of a resurrection. And they're like, that doesn't exist. He goes, oh, but it does. And they're having this uh, conversation back and forth because they're disturbed how somebody could be in my place preaching something that I don't believe. And yet this person has signs and wonders following. And I'm greatly disturbed by this fact because there's no way that you can preach about this Jesus. We killed this Jesus. He's not walking around. He's not alive. Peter, shut your mouth. These Sadducees were very wealthy and they intended to be very, tended to be very influential people. Very anti-supernaturalist. And, and I love this that it's in their presence that the supernatural takes place. Because eventually what will happen in all of our lives is there will be a moment where God will show his power and you can put your head in the sand or adjust your thinking. Because when he shows his power, it's going to be contrary, typically, to the masses' thought process. And they'll have two options. The two options are this, that didn't happen, it's not real, it's a smokescreen, it's all these things, or this is real and I have to adjust. Remember, to adjust is to pivot, to pivot means to repent. And the idea of my two options forever will be repentance of my worldly thinking or stay in the darkness. There's no middle ground. And as we're about to find out, Peter very boldly quotes, there's no middle ground on life. Ananias, the high priest, Caiaphas, John, and Alexander look at these men that are sitting before them. These are powerful men. 
and I love this, that these men are now under arrest for doing what? I, I like to watch, like the, especially like on TikTok and other, other, other platforms, like the police videos and body cam and everything else. And I watched one today. This lady gets pulled over by the police officer. And he asks for her license. And she declares she doesn't have to give him her license. And he says, ma'am, you need, I, I need to see your license. You don't know your law, sir. According to common law, I don't have to have a license to drive a car. And he's like, you kind of do. She's like, so she's arguing now with this police officer because according to her, she knows her rights. And her rights say that unless she's driving a commercial vehicle. And, and then he describes to her that, no, you have to have a license to drive. I'm not driving. I'm transporting. And I'm watching this take place. And so he finally puts her in handcuffs and puts her in the back of the car. And she's screaming bloody murder and losing her mind because according to her, he is violating her civil liberties. But Peter and John, I can see that they would be greatly perplexed. Why am I getting taken away? I literally don't know what we did wrong. And I love this, that are they being arrested at this time because they healed somebody? Are they being arrested at this time because how they healed somebody? Are they being arrested at this time because of what they're saying after they healed somebody. These are the three things that take place in this moment. I, I think that them being taken immediately was just because there was a commotion and the knee-jerk reaction is just to grab whoever's causing a commotion. But now there's a problem because you've got these two men now arrested and detained and now what? Now in custody... I'm sure that John and Peter would be very intimidated. Remember, just a few weeks ago, in this very vicinity, Peter denied the, the, the Lord because he was afraid he was going to be arrested. And just roughly 60 days later-ish, 45 days later, he's now in the prison. He's in the spot. And remember, when they took Jesus, they took him before these men. He stood in front of these men. Peter, watching in front of a fire at, the, at Jesus. Remember, because Jesus looks at Peter when he denies him. So he's close enough to see what's going on. And now Peter is standing where Jesus was standing when Peter denied him. And there's this, this swell that's going on. Because there's obviously something going on. There's a, a threats. There's anger. There's confusion. There's all of this. They, they would... Uh, verbally or physically assault them. It doesn't say this in the first few verses, but later on in verse 21, it says they made further threats. To make a further threat, there had to be previous threats. So in this season, everything that they can throw at him, they're throwing at him. And I've wondered what the threats would be. I think a lot of times we, we think that they're threatening these outlandish things, but Remember who's standing there. You've got the, the highest Jewish political officials there. And before them is a fisherman. So I wonder if some of the first threats are, if you don't be quiet, we'll make sure that your taxes are out of this roof. 
I guarantee you that the Romans are going to come after you. We'll, we'll pull our strings. Or do they take it further? We know where your family is. If you don't do what we say, we're going to hurt you. We're going to tarnish you. We're going to do all these things. Eventually, it has to escalate to this point where they're looking at him going, that Jesus you're talking about? Remember who you're standing in front of him because we killed the one you're talking about so we can kill you too. Keep preaching and see what happens. And by all outward measures at the season, there's no Christianity. They still are operating as Jews. <laughs> we don't see the idea of Christ, the, the, the being Christians till later on. They were just the followers of Christ at this season of life. And so as they would constantly go before them and they would sit there and they would call themselves followers of Jesus, this whole movement at this season is very weak. There's a few thousand followers of Jesus up against this mega religion of Judaism with all of its power and all of its influence. They're not militant. They're not trying to overthrow anything. In fact, their, their leader tells them to turn the other cheek. When somebody does something mean to you, be nice. There's not this big, huge threat that's going on. And on the outside, it looks like the entire world is now crushing upon them because they're weak. Their opponents are very strong. If you look at, the, look at the first six verses of Acts in chapter 4, you'll see that these, these leaders were strong. It's a winning team. Against two. Some teenagers, fishermen, tax collector, traders. I, I love this because on paper, this is the ultimate Rocky story. There's no way you're going to compete. There's no way that we're going to do anything. You're going to be crushed. You're going to die. And I love how just at the very end of it, uh, the author of Acts goes, and by the way, 5,000 were added. As if it's just a spit in the eye. Like they, they think that they took Peter and John, but we just added more people to our numbers. It's funny. It's a little hint of, we're about to win, and they don't know it yet. Hmm. I've been thinking about this passage recently because there's a lot of problems in our world. There's a lot. And the amount of emails that I get as a pastor of this is the last generation of Christianity is unbelievable. But Christianity was never weaker than it was in the book of Acts. For thousands of years now, we've had numerous accounts that Christianity was going to end. In fact, there was Emperor Diocletian, which, does anybody know Diocletian much? Yeah, he's not very popular because nothing much came from him, but he would actually have, uh, and I'm paraphrasing, on some of his statues, the emperor who killed Christianity. Well, sorry, bucko, you didn't win. 
can I tell you, we are one generation away from not speaking the name, but even the rocks will cry out. I want you to hear me, and it's not that I put my head in the sand and I don't see what's going on in the world. I see what's going on, and I'm concerned of the great falling away. But can I tell you, Christianity will never die. It can't die. It's impossible for it to die because it's always going to be bigger than just you and me. If we think in our, in, our, in our little minds, now we take responsibility and we take the ownership of the Great Commission and, and we do all of our parts to play, but if we're living our life with this rising and fall and it all lives up to me, we are very egotistical and egocentric to think that because God is big enough. Because even before the Holy Spirit filled the entire world and was able to do what he does today, you've got to remember the story of Elisha and Elijah. I'm all alone. There's no one else, God. I'm by myself. No, stupid. I've got a whole bunch reserved. You are not alone, and your job is not to go above and beyond what God places in front of you today. Christianity is not dying. It may not be as popular as it used to be, but can I tell you, I don't think that's a bad thing. Because what's happening in our world is that it's getting darker, and it's getting lighter. And what will happen is that it's the wheat and the tares begin to be separated, and it's very obvious. Because for hundreds of years now, Christianity across the board has been very gray. You know what I'm talking about? Where everybody looked great, everybody looked like they were saved, everybody looked like they were going right, but internally they didn't believe. And now we're seeing that this whole great divide is separating because the, the moment that the pop culture has said it's now okay not to be Christian, now you have to make a choice for yourself. You're no longer going to church because of peer pressure or because it's what was popular or because everybody else is doing it or it's the right thing to do. You're now making a choice. Am I going to be a Christ follower or not? And for thousands of years, people have been announcing this, that Christianity is out. But opposition does not destroy the church. Opposition will never destroy the church. Outward opposition will do nothing more than instigate an influx of God's power through the church. As we keep reading, it says, They spent the night in jail, and it came to pass the next day, the rulers, the scribes, the elders, as well as Ananias, the high priest, Caiaphas, John, and Alexander, and as many were of the family of the high priest, were gathered together at Jerusalem, and they sat them in their midst, and they asked them this question, By what power, by what name have you done this? It's an intimidating question. Who gave you permission to do this. This reminds me of Martin Luther in the Diet of Worms where he's standing in front of the, the, the emperor and the pope's officials. Why are you doing what you're doing? Who said you could say what you're doing? It's those here I stand moments where you're supposed to be scared. It's meant to be intimidating. It's meant to be frightening. It's meant to put you in a spot where they have all the power and I have none. They sit them in the middle of it. 
and wanted to remind them of their strength. We threw, we had the power to throw you in jail yesterday and we have the power today to take your life. Remember who you're talking to. Hmm. I don't feel like the question itself is a wrong question. By what power or by what name do you do this? I think the delivery of the question causes in que- is caused in the question. Naturally, they should be concerned about what's being taught on the Temple Mount. And they did their investigation, and that can't be faulted at all. But instead of looking for the honest truth, they wanted to figure out how they could spin it. That's the difference. Instead of coming to a face-to-face reality of truth, it's how can we spin this in our direction? How can we save face? Because if we admit what's taken place, and we are the ones who just killed this Jesus, now we got problems. How can we navigate through all of these nuances and these landmines? How can we obviously acknowledge something great that God is doing, but at the same time not put ourselves into a position where we're going to have to pivot? What does God do in this moment? Verse 8. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them. This is the biggest moment right here. We'll get into more of the context here, but in the moment he's supposed to be afraid, in the moment where he's supposed to be just shaking in his boots. It says he's filled with the Holy Spirit. In Acts chapter 2, we saw this a couple of weeks ago where uh, the day of Pentecost that had fully come, the, the Holy Spirit rushed in and, and they were, he came in and, and they were filled and Peter spoke and he did all those things. But did you know what this is supposed to show us is that the being filled with the Holy Spirit Christian life is not supposed to be an event. You are not supposed to go to youth camp at 15, have an encounter with the Holy Spirit, and that be it. Being filled with the Holy Spirit is not a singular event. Now, I'm not saying every Sunday you come up here to get the baptism of the Holy Spirit over and over and over again. But later on in Ephesians, uh, Paul looks and he talks about be filled with the Holy Spirit, or you can break it down, be continually filled with the Holy Spirit. Our role as Christ followers is to continue to be filled with the Holy Spirit. It is a pouring out of the Holy Spirit and a refilling of the Holy Spirit. You don't put gas in your car one time and think you've done a good job. You drive your car, you refill it with gas. You drive your car, you refill it with gas over and over and over again. And as you operate on this earth and as you walk in this life, our role is to continue to pour out the Holy Spirit and pour in the Holy Spirit. Pour out the Holy Spirit and pour in the Holy Spirit. And we pour out with signs and wonders and miracles. We, we get refilled in His presence. <coughs> we pour out with information and knowledge and wisdom, we, we pull them back in in our moments of worship. We show the fruits of the Spirit, and we, it's a continual pouring and refilling and a pouring and a refilling back and forth and back and forth. And I can imagine this moment, Peter standing there, everybody wants to hurt me. Everybody's angry at me. 
They're talking about taking my life, my job, my everything else that I have. But no, I'm not going to back down for a single moment. Because earlier in Matthew chapter 10, Jesus makes this statement. Behold, I am sending you out as sheep amidst wolves. So be wise as serpents, innocent as doves. Beware of men, for they will deliver you over to the courts to flog you in their synagogues. And you will be dragged before the rulers from the kings for my sake. And you will bear witness before the Gentiles when they deliver you over. But be not anxious for how you are to speak or for what you are to say. For what you are to say will be given to you in that hour. For it is not who speaks, but the Spirit of the Father who is speaking through you. This is a prophetic word of what Peter was about to experience. And I wonder in the night before, was he stressing with John going, what are we going to say? How do I say it? What do you, are you doing this? And then one of them has to come this moment going, Jesus told us they were going to pull us into their synagogues. He's going to give you the words to say in that very hour, Peter. If you, don't misunderstand me. If you want to experience a constant feeling of the Holy Spirit, you need to experience finding yourself in constant godly trouble. Godly trouble. Don't run the red lights, get the police to chase you and be like, fill me up Holy Spirit. I'm not saying that kind of trouble. But the problem what we're dealing with is that we've been asking God to fill us with the Holy Spirit in our homes, in my car, in my isolation. I never want to step out. I, I never want to lay hands on anybody. I never want to give a prophetic word. I never want to give a word of wisdom. I never want to offend anybody who ever says anything. I'm just going to cower down. But fill me up, Holy Spirit. And eventually God goes, I, there's nothing more I can put in you because you're not pouring out. And if you really truly want to see God do incredible things in your life, you have to find yourself in a position of godly peril. Godly peril. Putting yourself in the line of, of the Holy Spirit to be used is the only way he's actually going to pour out. It's that idea of, sure, you can go on to a missions trip, but what happens in your office when everybody else is gossiping and they look at you and you have a choice? What are you going to say and what are you going to do? Holy Spirit, I've got you. Give me the words to say in that hour of temptation. Peter and John lived their lives at this moment now to continue to be filled and poured out with the Holy Spirit so that it builds to this point. The chances are tomorrow you're not going to be drugged before a president or before a Congress or before a Senate to declare whether or not you're saved or not. And you're going to need the Holy Spirit to rely on you. But the chances are somebody's going to cut you off today. Somebody's going to take your seat at the restaurant. Somebody's going to run their mouth and gossip. Somebody's going to have some bad news. You're going to have a negative thought. Somebody's going to talk about my sickness and my issues. You're going to have something come up and goes, I should pray with them. No, I'm not. That, can I tell you, most people don't have this thought. You know what? I should lay hands on them and pray for their healing. That's not a common thought. So when that pops in, that's probably not you. Just step on out. You can't make them more sick. 
if you have the utterance of the Holy Spirit to go lay hands on somebody and pray for them, they're not going to look at you and go, my leg was broke, but now my arm is too. Thanks a lot, bucko. That's not what's going to happen. Your worst case scenario is nothing changes. Your best case scenario is you're going to cause a ruckus. We've lived our lives in comfort for too long. A lot of us don't experience what we could experience with the filling of the Holy Spirit because we've devoted our lives to being protected and to not putting the risk out. It's a safe place to live, and I get that. I can appreciate that. I don't fault the instinct to be safe. I've got insurance on my insurance. but you're going to see a lot less beautiful things from inside of your house. It's that weird line. I mean, you know, you can, you can get a nice flat screen TV that has a lot of beautiful pixels and everything else, but it doesn't, you, you know, you can have a photo of the Grand Canyon, but it doesn't equate to standing on the edge and looking in. I, I don't care how beautiful it is, but there's a risk. You have lived your life long enough with managing your risk. But God is, he's a risky guy. This whole idea of our faith is built on the risk. The very first moment, Abraham, leave your father's country. Where am I going? A land I'll show you. Just walk and when you get there, I'll let you know. That's a risk. Noah, grab some wood, build a boat. That's a risk. Moses, go stand before a pharaoh. That's a risk. David, get some rocks. That's a risk. Every area of our lives from Abraham all the way to Esther, all the way through Malachi, all the way to the disciples, and even in 2023 is built on this premise. We're going to do something risky. Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers of the people and elders of Israel, if we today are judged for our good deed to a helpless man, <laughs> such... By what means he has been made well. That's such a smart aleck comment. Well, let it be known to you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus, he didn't stop there. Jesus is a very popular name. By the name of Jesus Christ, Christ is not his last name. You don't walk up to heaven and go, hi, Mr. Christ. Um, but they would understand that there was a Jesus, the Messiah, of Nazareth, that city that you rejected. So we're, we're honing in to which Jesus that they are speaking of. Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified. So now they have it pinpointed. There's a Jesus. He's an anointed Jesus. He's of Nazareth. Oh, by the way, you killed him. That's a very specific individual they're talking about. But, mind you, in front of the Sadducees who don't believe in it, God raised from the dead, and by him this man stands before you all. The stone which was rejected by you builders, which has become the key, chief cornerstone, 
nor is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name given under heaven by which men must be saved. And I love this because Peter, giving an opportunity to speak, I'm not sure if he was feeling bold or boldness came upon him, but he stands with all of his heart, with all of his energy, and he looks at him and goes, why am I having this trial? Is it because a man who was lame for 40 years was healed? Is that the problem here? Because I guess if we're putting people in jail for doing nice things, we've got a big problem. But you want to know how this happened? Do you really want the answer? It is Jesus Christ of Nazareth who you crucified. Remember that guy a few months ago? Came up here. You didn't like him very much. You bribed one of our guys. Yeah, that whole story. Yeah, yeah. He's still alive. Notice what he says here. This man stands before you. So they brought Peter. They brought John. And the poor guy who just got healed. To stand trial. he wasn't filled with the Holy Spirit, so I wonder what his thing was. He's like, I don't know these guys. I was minding my own business. They just yanked me out of my chair. But in verse 11, he's quoting what Psalm 118 says, and he says that you guys would not accept him. That they would reject him, but he would still be the chief cornerstone. He was rejected by the men, by those very leaders. He was exalted by God, his father. And Peter quotes this before them so they could realize where they were in this story of history. You've been bragging so long about being rulers of, and leaders of our faith, but the prophet David spoke of this moment that you are currently in. This was you. Your greatest fear has come upon you. They knew this was a prophetic Messiah text. And I wonder how many times they go, hey, when the guy comes, make sure this isn't you. Hey, when he comes, make sure. For generations, they would know, it's not going to be me. When the Messiah comes, I'm not going to betray him. I'm not going to be that guy. And for that baton gets passed from one to another. And guess what, guys? You just did it. You have been saying for all of these times that it wasn't going to be me. I'll welcome in the Messiah. But yet you were the ones who crucified him. And then he puts it on thick. There's no salvation in any other. And there's no other name given under heaven among men by which you can be saved. Mic drop. First of all, you would never speak to any of them this direct. Shocking to them. The whole setup is meant to put the pressure on the individual and to watch him cave. But now he's boldly staying there. And he looks at them and says that there is no other way of salvation but through this Jesus. And this is so contrary to our way of life these days. He doesn't offer Jesus as a way of salvation. He says he's the only way. The spirit of our age is marked with radical tolerance, radical pluralism, where almost the worst thing you can say is that something is right and everything else is wrong. 
the whole thing of tolerance has been grossly oversold, overrated. Listen, I'm happy we're not going back to Salem and burning witches. I'm not saying that we should go back into the Grand in- the Spanish Inquisition. I'm okay. I had a very hard heart-to-heart conversation with somebody recently because they're asking my stance on different subjects. And of course, it's all set up. Everything's a, a softball toss from uh, gay marriage to abortion to everything else. It's, it's going to be meant to incite some kind of a trap. And I can confidently tell you that there is a big difference between my political stance and my religious stance. The difference is this. I don't feel like I want everybody to have a law that they have to be exactly the way that I am. It should be a choice. Following Christ should be a choice. Overseas, we see what happens if you don't uh, obey the uh, Quran. You're, You're having these followers either by faith or by the edge of the sword. And I never want to see our nation get to that place where we're threatening people's lives that they have to do it our way or else. However, I will boldly say there is only one way into salvation. You can be stupid all you want. It's legal. There's no crime against stupidity. However, I'm going to tell you the truth. But here's the thing. I'm going to tell you the truth in love. And this is something that we're missing. We seem to have these two chasms where I'm too afraid to tell you the truth. Or I'm going to tell you the truth hoping to put fear into your life to beat you down. There's two different things. You can look at somebody and speak truth in love and it's correct and it's direct, and it's not sugar-coated at all. And at the same time, you can look at somebody and scream and yell and, and, and put them down. We see this in, oh my God, was it Westboro Baptist? When they're going up and they're, and they're picketing our, our fallen soldiers, right? They're getting up and talking about this is God's judgment on America for abortion and homosexuality, and, and they're chanting death to these soldiers, and they're excited about it because their belief is this, is that God will judge the sin. And they're right. God will judge sin. But what they're doing is not in love. That's not how you show love. Love is not me looking at you and hoping that bad things happen so you'll come crawling back to me. I'm not wishing ill will against Thomas so he can come back and go, you were right, Pete. Because what's what we do? We have these thoughts of, yeah, 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 go ahead, go ahead. And when things start going bad, you know where to come back to. You'll come crawling. No, I'm not going to come seek you out. You come crawling back on your hands and knees, begging for my forgiveness, and then I'll lead you to my Savior but you owe me one. And that's not the way of the cross. Because the way that I read it is that as a son leaves, the father waits in anticipation for him to come home. And when he come home, he kills the fatted calf. He puts the ring on his finger. He gives him some new clothes. He does everything he can. And at no point in this process is he berating and beating him down. But can I tell you, there was only one way into that property. 
And there is but one way. And Peter stands up and says it boldly. It's through Christ and Christ alone. He is not a way. He is the way. He is not an option. He is the only option. You can go all those other ways, but you will not find yourself in relationship with God. But you can find yourself in an emotional relationship with a demon. If we're judging our spirituality based on how we feel, and if whether or not we've got goosebumps and tingles, then you're missing the mark. You can go to great concerts and get goosebumps and tingles, and God not be present. You can go to a movie and get goosebumps and tingles, and God not be present. And you can worship a fallen idol all you want to and get goosebumps and tingles, and God not be present. But God's evidence in your life is based on real life change. Am I growing closer to his word, daily connected to the vine? Or am I further away today than I was last week, last month, or last year? I don't care how much sleep you're getting. I don't care how good you feel about yourself. And I don't care if you're hashtag living your best life. Because there's a lot of people that are giddy and excited on a one-way ticket straight to hell. And they don't know the track is out. Miserable people aren't supposed to be the only Christians on the earth. This is the problem we're running into in our life. Is that we can live with peace. But if we're always looking for that doom and gloom person and judging whether or not they need Jesus based on their outward appearance, we're going to be mistaken. You know, the night before I gave my life to Jesus, I was very happy. True story. At a party, living my best life. I could have died that night with a smile on my face and spent eternity in hell. That's the scariest part of it all. They don't know. They don't know. And unfortunately now with the way we have social media based on is that for every one thing that's speaking truth, you can have five other professionals speaking lies with fake credentials. You can see somebody get up and try to debunk every single thing that that the scriptures say and talk about, well... The book of Enoch says this, and, and, and Maccabees, Maccabees say that, and we should, we should look into these other things and, and look into these other things, and, and you're missing this and you're missing that, and it can confuse you so much, you go, I don't know what's truth and what's not anymore. And I'll be honest, Peter and John, you'll see this as, as it goes. In verse 13, it says that when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated, And untrained men, they marveled. And they realized that they had been with Jesus. Education is fantastic. I love education. I think I will be forever a student. I continue to enroll in classes no matter what degrees I get for some random reason because I love it. But can I tell you, just because I may have a a seminary degree or just because you may have a, a different degree does not compute to having been with Jesus. And my education that I have helps me know what truth is and how to find the truth. 
However, just because you have education doesn't mean you have the truth inside of you. I watched the video recently of, of, of a lecture of a, he's holding three different PhDs in different forms of um, doctrine um, and our Christian faith as he's preaching that Jesus is not the way. He's an option and, and he was just a, a part of the plan. He's not the whole plan and we're taking these things out of context and I'm watching somebody who's a professor uh, of divinity going, are you kidding me right now? Education doesn't dictate being right. Education is meant to show you how to find the right answers. Give you the right tools. And I love my education, and I hope you guys continue to grow, but the idea here is not to just get a degree, put it on your wall, and say, I've arrived. Because every single person sitting around Peter and John, all were highly educated. How can you judge somebody who is uneducated and unlearned unless you are educated and learned? And they look at these two men who go, y'all are not as smart as us. You have not been educated like us. However, you are speaking more truth to us than we've heard. How is that possible? Last part, they have been with Jesus. We'll pick up there next week. Being with Jesus. But before we go into that, We've got to pause and realize if you're continuing to ask yourself or ask Holy Spirit to pour you out, be willing to be poured out. Don't be the stubborn teapot that does not get willing to get tipped over and poured out. I have my phone up here. Um, I, I love this case. It's, it's a magnetic case. Uh, so whenever, I haven't been in a while, obviously. But when you go to the gym, uh, you can just set it onto the, the machine and it holds it. You can put it on your card dash it holds it's it's fully magnetic it doesn't it doesn't move the problem is when i'm in a hurry and it's sitting on something metal and i go to grab it and, and it just stays behind and i then have myself into a fight pushing it off of this metal thing to get it this is the the, the perfect example of how many of us are god pour me out pour me out but you're unwilling to be moved you're unwilling to be to, to be poured out you're unwilling to be going where he wants you to go and you want to stay exactly where you are because where you are is comfortable and it's safe and it's protected and no one's going to be mean and I'm not going to end up on YouTube and no one's going to call me out and I'm not going to lose my job. Can I tell you, listen, I'm not being mean by making this statement. There's a lot of jobs. You get another one. Just be, you get one life here. You get one chance at speaking truth. You get one opportunity to, to do something great for Christ. Don't give it up and don't trade in a move of the Holy Spirit for comfort. Because I promise you this, and we can see this history after history, somebody will stand up. Somebody will instigate a move of the Holy Spirit. Somebody will be part of a movement of power and might. And there will be many others that go, I should have, and I could have, but I didn't. Be bold. Don't be mean, but be bold. Speak truth and love, and be poured out for the Holy Spirit. Holy God, we just thank you that we are here today, that you use us this week, in this Independence Day that we, uh, week that we are independent from fear.
that we no longer have to be slaves to the, the ways of this world, that we don't have to stay stuck into doing things based on our comfort levels. But Holy Spirit, use us today. Give us boldness to speak truth and love. In Jesus' name, amen. Y'all have a fantastic week. We will see y'all next week. Thank you for listening to our podcast. Have a great week.